You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Well, The Silver Chair has always been one of my favorite novels in the Chronicles of Narnia. It was C.S. Lewis' fourth published book in the series uh, in 1953. And according to the inside flap, which is sometimes interesting to read, It tells the story of two English children who undergo hair-raising adventures as they go on a search-and-rescue mission for the missing Prince Rillian. And as these Narnian escapades typically open, uh, two school children from our own world are transported to the magical world of Narnia because their presence is needed. And so Eustace and Jill find themselves on the top of a mountain in Aslan's country. The king, the great lion himself, has called Eustace and Jill for a task, to be part of the story. And Aslan has a very important message for Jill prior to their embarking on the journey itself down into Narnia. And after giving her four signs to look for, He says the following. But first, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night, when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That's why it's so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. Remember, remember, remember the signs. Nothing else matters, says Aslan. Well, meanwhile, in Exodus 23, we find God on the top of a mountain speaking to Moses. And he has a message for the people before they embark on their journey into the promised land. He tells them what is important, what to look out for, how to ensure their success. And in verse 13, which is kind of the banner summary verse in this chapter, God says, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods. Pay attention to what I've said. Remember, don't get confused. Nothing else matters. So today, my aim is to show us three important ways that God helps his people to remember and why that matters for us, too. So we're going to look at three things. One, remember the Sabbath. Two, Remember the feasts, and three, 
remember the angel. Let's pray first, and then we'll dig in together. Father, would you help us this morning to pay careful attention to what you have said? Would you prepare our hearts by your Spirit to remember who you are and what you have done? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Let's look first at verses 10 through 12 for our first point here. Remember the Sabbath. It says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Well, as Pastor Joe and Pastor David have reminded us the last couple weeks, each of these case laws in this particular section of Exodus, each trace a fundamental principle that God laid down for the people of Israel in the Ten Commandments. And so now, as we come to these fuller examples regarding Sabbath in verses 10 through 12, we recall the fourth commandment, which goes like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. Back in January 2020, pre-COVID, feels like it was a decade ago, uh, Pastor Jonathan preached on the fourth commandment on the Sabbath, and he summarized the core idea of that principle like this. Sabbath is a rhythm rooted in the glory of God and designed in creation. That is an act of resistance to the false gods of this world for the purpose of stopping work and worshiping God for the purpose of being refreshed. So, now what we're seeing is that fundamental principle of Sabbath being pressed into the particulars of the lives of Israel. We know that Sabbath goes all the way back to the very beginning because God, he made the whole world, the whole universe in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. And God builds this in. He builds this in to the weekly calendar of his people because he wants them to remember something. He wants them to remember, to remember the glory of God expressed in creation, that he created everything. All of it comes by his hand. You are here because God made you. And remember this every seven days. God weaves this rhythm. He weaves this act of remembrance into the weekly calendar of his people. And when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament and he proclaims himself the Lord of the Sabbath, he says, remember, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It it is for us. It is a gift from God to help us to remember. And part of that gift is what we remember in it. But 
here in, in Exodus 23, there's a couple other things I want to draw our attention to that get expanded uh, to this principle of Sabbath. In verse 12, if you look there, we see this particular emphasis given to those who are often forgotten, those who are often used. It's mentioning specifically the servants, the hired hands, the poor, the foreigner, even the animals. And we should just bracket here and say, we could preach a whole sermon on the care of creation and the dignity of animals, even as God gives humans dominion over all of creation. But we do not have time this morning, unfortunately. Suffice it to say that God knows the human tendency towards overwork, overproduction, and mistreatment of those who work for us. And he is building in protections for that on purpose. Stop working. Every six days, stop. And everyone who works for you, have them stop. Let them rest. You're not in Egypt anymore, so don't act like the Egyptians. And in addition, the grace of God, it spreads outward. So the grace of God in Sabbath rest that is given to the people of Israel is meant to radiate outward. It's meant to impact the lives of people around them in their circles. That grace goes out. This is for you too. Remember, you were oppressed slaves in Egypt, but I brought you out, so don't act like that. But also, we see an interesting thing that is not often talked about a lot. We see this principle of Sabbath applied not just in a weekly way, but in verses 10 and, 10 and 11 here, God calls for a yearly cycle as well. Every seven years is to be a Sabbath year, a sabbatical, you might call it. And this is an extra special remembrance. And in Leviticus 25, so just one book over, uh, there's an expansion uh, on what this Sabbath year means. Listen to this. God says, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female servants and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your, in your land. All its yield shall be for food. And then goes, God goes on to say, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. The land is mine, says the Lord. So what do we learn here? Three, three things that we learn about these principles of Sabbath. First, God wants us to remember that he is God and we are not. He is the creator and the giver of all good gifts. We are the managers, the stewards. We don't ultimately own the things that we've been given, not in an ultimate way. And if you really get that in your head, if we, if we really get that outlook in our heads and act out of that, 
that all these, all the stuff that I have is not really mine, it changes the way that you relate to your possessions. Secondly, remember that what God gives us is meant specifically not to terminate on ourselves. It's not just for us. I mean, listen to all the times God is talking about people that are not you in terms of what to do with the Sabbath, how to use your land, how to use your possessions. It's for the folks that work with you. It's for your servants. It's for the other people. It's for the wild animals. And you, there's an itch, interesting picture of land ownership here. It's, it's not that everyone owns the land together in sort of a communist kumbaya situation, but also it's not that a few powerful ones with capital own the land forever and get to do whatever they please with it. God says the land is mine. And so use it to love your neighbor. That, again, that, this is a clue to us of how we're supposed to view our property or our houses, or the things that we own. That we are, it's so easy to say, oh, that's mine. That's mine. So I get to do what I want with it. But God is telling the, the people of Israel here, the land is mine. And remember that. But third, uh, this is a call to remember to trust the Lord. In that Leviticus 25 passage that I read, the, the reason uh, God, Moses is speaking about that is he, he's responding to these practical questions. Like, if we stop farming for an entire year, what are we going to eat? I mean, this is a very practical, valid question, right? I mean, if we just stop, this is where all our food comes from. What, what are we going to eat? And God says, you got to trust me. I will cause extra blessing in the sixth year so that you'll have enough for three years because it takes time to get those crops back up and going. You have to trust me. You have to trust me, not your ingenious farming methods or your constant work. You have to pause and you have to remember that you did not create yourself you did not save yourself. You do not sustain yourself. And that what you have been given is meant for the blessing and enrichment of those around you in your circle, especially those who have less than you. So remember the Sabbath. Worship God and love others. Let's move now to our second point, remember the feast. Now, before we get there, I just want to draw your attention to, there's a link verse between uh, verses 14 uh, to 17 about the feasts and the, the section about Sabbath. Verse, verse 13 is kind of a link passage. If you look there, God says, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. So this again, this is a call to remember. Because God said, pay attention to all that I have said to you. Well, how do you, how do you pay attention to something that was said previously, something that was said in the past? You have to remember it. It's not currently being spoken to you. You have to remember what was said before. And knowing 
what forgetful creatures humans tend to be, God wisely and graciously builds in acts of remembrance into the weekly and monthly and annual calendars of his people to guide them into remembering who he is, what he has done, and what he promises to do. Because when we remember that, it changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we act in all of the situations that we find ourselves. So, with that link, now let's look at verse 14 and these feasts. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days. Let's pause there. So, this is a clue here. God has spoken of this particular feast before. He says, as I have commanded you. I already told you about this one. And we saw it about 10 chapters ago. It was in in Exodus 13, and it's right after the institution of the Passover, and right after all of the, the plagues. So it's in the midst of God's incredible work bringing his people out of slavery and judgment on the land of Egypt. And what's happening there is such an important picture of God and his people. God, with his mighty hand saving his helpless people out of this land of slavery. That's such an important picture for the people of Israel to get embedded into their minds and into their hearts that God has them do something special. Speaking through Moses, God says this, Remember this day. Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. So if you've ever asked yourself, what is the deal with all these feasts and festivals in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament when you read the Gospels, Jesus is going to parties left and right. He's always going to Jerusalem and going to these different feasts, right? What's going on here? Well, this is what's going on. God institutes these feasts, these festivals, to help the people to remember. He says, remember this day. Mark this day. Remember it. And because you're prone to forget, I'm going to give you specific things to do that are going to call to mind what happened on that day so that you can tell your son, hey, this is why we're eating unleavened bread. This is what happened. Let me tell you the story. Let's remember together. Remember the day when the Lord brought us out with a strong hand and rescued us. It's a sign, a memorial, a helpful reminder. And the purpose, at the end of that text, the purpose is so that the law of the Lord might be in your mouth, so that God's word might spill out of your mouth. It's an ancient habit of grace, you might say. Well, there's two other feasts that are mentioned in verse 16, which are the feasts of harvest and the feast of ingathering. And those have a particular purpose as well. As Pastor David referred to last week, these are 
hearkening back to the 10th commandment against coveting, which might be sort of counterintuitive uh, at first glance. But if you think about it, how do you prevent people from jealously coveting the stuff that other people have? Well, at at a heart level, you have to cultivate generosity and thankfulness to God for what he has given you. And again, because this is so important, God builds these habits into the seasonal calendar of his people. Uh, There's a really interesting seasonal progression here if you look at these feasts. So the the month of Abib, uh, which is referenced here, is in the spring. Uh, And then we know exactly when the other two feasts are supposed to happen. So let's listen to this. This is super interesting. So at the, at the start of the agricultural year in the spring, celebrate the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And remember that the only reason you're here is because the Lord rescued you out of slavery. God loved you and he brought you out. So at the beginning of every year in the spring, remember that. But then in the summer, as the crops start coming up, Keep the feast of harvest and remember that all of this, all of this that you see, all this produce, all these first fruits come from the hand of the Lord. These are gifts. They didn't come from you. They came from him. Remember that. Remember his grace, his provision to you. You did not deserve this, but he has given this to you. And then in the fall, after all has been gathered, it says at the end of the year, at the end of the agricultural year, keep the feast of ingathering. And remember, what you have been given is not for you alone. But what you have been given is to be shared corporately together in a joyful feast to the Lord. So in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, God builds in these three feasts to help his people to remember specific things about who he is and what he has done. But then in the, in the New Testament, we, we do see a few references to feasts and festivals. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 2, with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. And this, this is really important to Mark. The, the feasts, these, these feasts, these festivals were meant to point forward. They were pointing forward. They were shadows. They were silhouettes. They were shapes. They told the people something, but they didn't tell the full story because Jesus is the substance. He is the flesh that is making that shadow. The feasts, they talk people specific things about God, about who he is, what he does, what he promises to do. But Jesus comes on the scene as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he provides the ultimate remembrance. In the flesh, he's here. We see him. And he teaches the people that I rescue you out of slavery to sin and death. I defeat your enemies. And so on this side of that salvation, We as Christians now, we orient our liturgy and our church calendar to help us to remember the coming of the Son of God, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection. That's what we remember 
on this side of that salvation. And that's, that's one major reason why it's such a good thing to celebrate Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. And it's why every single week we gather here together to remember and to worship God and to apply the saving work of Christ to our lives. So let's move now to our last point today, which is remember the angel. Look at verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So before we go further, first of all, we do need to ask, who is this angel? Notice a few intriguing elements. First, God calls Israel to pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Obey this angel. He apparently has the ability to pardon your transgression. And God says that my name is in him. And then in verse 22, God says, if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, he links the voice of the angel with God himself. So to recap, this angel speaks for God and represents his presence. He can forgive sins, and God's name is in him. Does that sound like a normal angel to you? Now, we don't know for sure, but it's possible that this is a representation, this is a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Jesus, second person of the Trinity. Uh, Pastor Jonathan uh, preached on Exodus 3 way back in September 2019, uh, on the, the episode with Moses and the burning bush. And what people also often forget about that situation with the burning bush is that it was actually the angel of the Lord who was speaking to Moses in the bush. And, and Jonathan concluded in that sermon that Jesus was the one who was present as the angel of the Lord. And in the New Testament, in Jude 1.5, Jude says that Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt and afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So, at, on any level, he, Jesus is definitely involved in the story at this point. But the important thing for us to see is that God does not simply give the Sabbath and the festivals as ways for his people to remember but he actually sends a representative of his own presence. He is with his people. He's in front going before. He's in back guarding behind. He's in their midst to bring them to the place that he has promised. He doesn't leave them alone. And we actually see something similar to this in the New Testament. Uh, in, in John 14, Jesus in the high priestly prayer says, uh, these, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, 
The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I have said to you. So the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is sent to us in Jesus' name with the express purpose to help us to remember what Jesus says. So again, God does not leave us alone. Even now, Christian, God does not leave you alone. He sends help to bring you to the place that he has promised. Okay, so God has provided weekly, monthly, and yearly rhythms for his people to help them remember his past grace and his future promises. He's empowered them with his own presence to guard and guide them. But even with all this power and provision, notice one final thing about the way that victory comes. Look down at verses 29 and 30. We haven't read these yet. God says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Instead, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. We know that God can split the Red Sea. He can bring decisive, immediate victory if that's what's best. And so what's interesting here is that God knows in this situation that would not be best. Victory in one year would actually be bad for the people of Israel. The land, just from a practical standpoint, their, their numbers are not big enough. They couldn't manage the whole thing. The land would swallow them. And therefore, God promises that the victory will come little by little until they're ready for the full victory. And this, in particular, is, I think, highly relevant for us. Because this is so often the space that, that we live. It, for me, it's, it's really helpful to remember that God is not just the God of the razzle-dazzle, incredible, miracle, immediate victory. He's also the God of little by little, step by step. It's easy for us to get discouraged when progress is slower than we would like it to be. And I mean, for you, maybe, maybe it's a big project at work or at school. Maybe it's something that you've been praying for one of your kids or one of your siblings. Maybe it's someone that you've been sharing the gospel with. Maybe it's a relationship that you hoped would be different. I mean, we, we are naturally very impatient beings. We want things now. We want them to happen right now. Especially if we've prayed once or twice. But God, he wants a relationship. He has the long view in mind, right? 
He is our Father, our Redeemer. He's not a genie in a bottle. We are not Aladdin. So take heart, Cities Church. Take heart. Perhaps what has seemed like an insurmountable obstacle in whatever situation you find yourself is simply God inviting you to trust Him, to remember that He is the God of little by little. And if you remain faithful, one day, one day, He's going to say to you with a smile on His face, You have been faithful over a little, and now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. So as we come to the table now, we remember that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he gives us our ultimate rest. He is our Passover lamb that was sacrificed so that we could be invited to the feast. He is the bread of life that satisfies forever. And he is the fulfillment of the law's every shadow. And Jesus, too, he calls us to remember. When when he was instituting a new feast, this feast, this gospel feast, He said specifically, do this in remembrance of me. So Cities Church, Jesus is saying to us, remember, remember, remember. Nothing else matters. This feast, this meal is primarily for the members of Cities Church, but If you have trusted Christ and you remember his saving work on your behalf, we invite you to eat and drink with us. The pastors are going to come and distribute. We'll eat and and drink together. His body is the true bread and his blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.